Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Moments in History. I'm Cullen Holt. That is Val Cook. And, you know, we've talked about a, a bunch of different things over the course of this podcast. It's been a lot of fun, but uh, we've talked about a bunch of different, I don't know what you call them, occupations or, or niches in Western history, Rocky Mountain history, whether that be uh, settlers, uh, and the list goes on and on. One thing I feel like we haven't necessarily really dug into is the trappers or the mountain men uh, a big part of western history as you go to mm -hmm. uh, forts and settlements and historic sites i mean there's usually some some sort of trapper or hunter or or frontiersman mountain man is related somehow to that and i i feel like you know we should maybe look a little bit more into to their lives we should, you know, uh, the fur trappers were basically the start of Western history, other than if you look through the Spanish history coming out of Mexico, there's a lot of Western history that comes from the Spanish side of things. But when you look at the Americas and the Americans and the, the, the people from Canada and the East Coast who moved into the Rocky Mountains, it pretty much all began with the fur trappers back in the early 1800s. And just what you said, if you look around Montana, Idaho, Utah, um, all of the names are basically based either having a fur trapper's name or being part of the Indian language. Um, Sublette County in Wyoming as William Sublette Jackson. Uh, there was a famous fur trapper in the early 1800s named Jackson. So the city of Jackson is named after him. In fact, Jackson Hole is named after him. Um, Fontenelle. There was a fur trapper named Fontenelle, and now there's a great big lake in Wyoming, just up by Big Piney, just a little bit south and east of Big Piney, named Fontenelle Reservoir. Um, and it just goes on and on. Uh, almost every county in the state of Wyoming is named after either a trapper or um, an, Indian, an Indian word of some kind. So they really were. It's where it all began. And uh, these fur trappers were definitely some hardy folks. Uh, there's so many of them that we don't even know their names. They just came west and were lost into oblivion. Nobody knows what happened to them or they just disappeared. Um, others of them had to endure such horrendous things that they almost became legend. Um, others were so successful in fur trapping and in business, they also became legend like Jim Bridger. His legend is he started young and um, grew up in the West and became a very astute leader and businessman and also self-promoter. And he was able to make a lot of money in the fur trapping of the West. Uh, one of these men I want to talk about went through such a horrific experience, in fact, several of them, that he became a legend of the West. Uh, several years ago, there was a movie um by the name of Revenant, I think it was, uh, with Leo DiCaprio. Do you remember right. that? Okay. Um, yeah. And it was about a man by the name of Hugh Glass, a mountain man, a real mountain man. His name was Hugh Glass, and it was in the early 1800s, and, you know, 1804, 1805, somewhere in that neighborhood, that a major, Andrew Henry, was leading an expedition of fur trappers into the Yellowstone River region. Now, Yellowstone River starts in Yellowstone, what is now Yellowstone National Park, and it travels northeast into Montana and joins what is the Missouri River drainage. 
So that is okay. the country that we're talking about up in the Yellowstone River area. He was hunting along the banks of the Grand River when a grizzly bear attacked him. And she bit a chunk out of him and turned around and gave that chunk to her cubs. And he tried to get away and she turned around and caught him again and grabbed him by the shoulders and shook him and just caused so much damage that the party was with and thought there was no hope for him. I mean, that oh my goodness. mouthfuls of flesh and his hands and his arms were so badly hurt that they just did, couldn't fathom that he would ever recover to be able to even operate um, his gun or to, you know, skin a beaver or do anything. Just the fact of him surviving was beyond their imagination. And because this party was in the heart of hostile Indian country, they knew that it was imperative that they move ahead as fast as possible. But, of course, Hugh Glass was in no condition to travel. And if they would have moved him, he probably would have killed him. So um, Major Henry offered a reward, and a couple of the mountain men accepted the reward to stay behind with Hugh Glass until either he recovered or passed away. Those two included a man by the name of John Fitzgerald and another name that you'll recognize, Mr. James Bridger. Jim Bridger. Yeah. He he was one of the two that uh, volunteered to stay behind with Mr. Glass. Now realize... He was just a kid. He was probably in his mid-teens, Jim Bridger was, when this all happened. He wasn't the Jim Bridger that we all know today. He was just starting his life and his career in the West at this point in time. But um, after four or five days, they didn't see any improvement in Mr. Glass. They couldn't They couldn't see him recovering. They, so basically, they were getting scared that they were getting too far behind their party. And they didn't want to be caught in hostile Indian country, you know, just the two of them. And they didn't want any of Hugh Glass's um, accoutrements, uh, the the rifle and his knives and his, his stuff in his backpack. They didn't want that falling into Indian hands either. So they decided after four or five days that they were going to move on and just let everybody know that he was dead. And... Um, So they grabbed all of his stuff in his pack, his knives, his rifle, everything. And they took that with him and they left him in his, in his Buffalo robe to die basically. But after a few days, after a few days, Hugh Glass was able to crawl and drag himself to the edge of the river so that he could get something to drink. That's what was killing him was, you know, lack of water. And When he got down there, he found some berries and stuff along the edge of the river that he ate. And over a day or two, um, he gathered a little bit of strength and he filled himself with water. And he decided he was going to take off and try and make it the 100 miles back to the uh, fort. Um, I can't. It was on the Missouri River, uh, Fort Kiowa, I think, maybe. That was okay. by, anyway, it was over 100 miles away. On the Missouri wow, River. Miles. And so he literally dragged himself on his belly and later on got the strength and was able to crawl, couldn't walk. And right before he made it to the fort 100 miles away, he was able to stand up. And with the help of the stick, he was able to limp and, and make it to the fort over 100 miles away. And obviously, several weeks uh, it took him to do that. Along the way, he came upon some wolves that were killing a buffalo calf. 
So he let them kill the buffalo calf, and then he was able to scare them off, and he claimed his chunk of the buffalo calf meat. He didn't have knives. He didn't have flint for a fire, but he ate the meat. He was able to take some of the meat and and uh, wrap it up and bring it with him as he dragged himself along, and that helped him survive along the way. Um, wow. But some incredible, incredible hardships, uh, distress, great distress. Um, but anyway, Fort Kiowa is all the way in South Dakota. He was in Montana on the Yellowstone. He had to go down the Yellowstone to where it met the Missouri and all the way down the Missouri to uh, Fort Kiowa in South Dakota. And he yeah. made it. He made it. Um, and then just a couple of days later, before his wounds were completely healed, he was off again. He started east. Now, this, no man, way. this man wanted revenge. He wanted um, Jim Bridger's scalp and, and Fitzgerald's scalp. And that was one of the things that drove him for the next several years. But he was off to the east with a party of trappers down the Missouri. And they came near some Mandan villages. And as they approached the friendly Mandan villages, he decided he was going to walk across the river. So he jumped out of the boat. And where the river came to a bend, it was shallow, and he walked across the river. Well, the guys that stayed with the boats, they were attacked by Arikara Indians, and all of them were killed. So again, he escaped death. Hugh Glass, oh my goodness. the only one in his party, and he was taken up by some friendly Mandan Indians, and they got him to Tilton's Fort. And um, with his one purpose of vengeance still on his mind, it inspired him to leave Tilton's Fort the same night he got there. He plunged into the wilderness and traveled alone for 38 days through hostile Indian country to reach Fort Henry at the mouth of the Bighorn River in present-day Montana. Now, here he discovered that the men that he was after had gone east. So, still seeking them, he accepted an opportunity to carry a dispatch to Fort Atkinson in Nebraska. So four, okay. men, four men started out with him on, it was in February of early 1800s, maybe 1820, 1825, somewhere in there. Yeah. Okay. And he started out with four men and they were on foot. Now, can you imagine leaving a fort in Montana at the end of February on foot, looking to travel five, 600 miles? <laughs> that uh, yeah no i can't imagine i can't either that's beyond why would anybody do that but on the other hand right life was different back in those days and these guys were a hardy breed so um anyway he he went down the valley of the powder river they went over to the divide into the platte river they made some skin boats they floated down the stream and they finally made it to their destination well and actually, uh, on their trip, as they got out into the plains, they were attacked by a band of Arikara, and two of the four men were killed. So again, by another miracle, Hugh Glass escapes another Indian attack where he should have been killed, and he is able to make his way down to the fort, where uh, Fort Atkinson. Now, Fort Atkinson to me is very interesting because this is a little side note. Fort Atkinson was built on a place that Lewis and Clark recommended that there be a fort built on. As they were going, yeah. as they were traveling west in the Lewis and Clark expedition, they came to the location, which is now in Nebraska, and it, they made a note in their in their diary saying, 
this would be a wonderful place with all of the game and you know there's food there's fuel there's uh, it would be a wonderful place and so about 1820 the federal government built fort atkinson and it operated for about seven years as a united states fort at its peak which was probably about the time that hugh glass there were 1200 men stationed at fort atkinson and at that oh, wow. time at that time that was one fourth 1200 men was one fourth of the standing united states army <laughs> That's a 12, lot. 12, thanks thanks yeah, to Lewis point. and Clark for the recommendation, I guess. Yeah. So anyway, that's a side note to the Hugh Glass story. But um, uh, Hugh Glass, uh, um, that happened in about 1824. Um, 1820. Anyway, 1820 to 1825. And it was in 1832 that Hugh Glass was back up on the Yellowstone River where it all began. And he was killed in an Indian battle in 1832. Oh, so, wow. Interesting, very, very, very tough life that these yeah. uh, these plainsmen led. Um, have you ever heard of Scott's Bluff? Scott's yes. Bluff, Nebraska? Nebraska, yes. Okay, here comes a name that was named after another mountain man. Um, there was a band by the name of Hiram Scott. And he was traveling up the Platte River with a group and their canoes capsized and they lost all of their supplies. They lost all of their powder. Um, and he became very sick, very, very sick. Hiram, Hiram Scott was his name. And as his partners were very anxious and they came across a trail of some white men that were going East back down the side of the river. So they wanted to hurry and catch up to him because they had no gunpowder. They had no supplies. They had nothing other than maybe a few knives and their weapons. So they left Hiram Scott to die. And um, when they got down and met up with other people, they just told everybody that he was dead. And they left him there. And um, a year later, there was a skeleton discovered at the base of what is now the Scott's Bluff. Now, in these days, there's the city of Scotts Bluff, Nebraska, but it's the actual bluff itself, which was a major landmark later on the Oregon Trail. But they found a skeleton at the base of Scotts Bluff, and they realized that Hiram Scott had drug himself for 40 miles after being left before he died at the base of what is now known as Scotts Bluff. 40 miles. Dragging himself. Wow. In horrible. So... These guys were tough there, but there's a lot of places, locations around the West that are named after them because of yeah. incredible feats like, uh, like what we just talked about. Um, there was a, there was a man named Hiram Chittenden, if I remember right, Chittenden. Um, and I ran across his description. Now he was a man who had occasion to run into these mountain men fur trappers. So he knew firsthand, and he described him. He says he was originally, or he he says he was ordinarily gaunt and spare, browned with exposure, his hair long and unkept, which, with his dress, often made it difficult to distinguish him from an Indian. The constant peril of his life, the necessity of unremitting vigilance, gave him a kind of piercing look. 
his head slightly bent forward and his deep eyes peering from under his slouch hat or whatever headgear he might possess, as if studying the face of the stranger to learn whether friend or foe. On the whole, he impressed one as taciturn and gloomy, and his life did, to some extent, suppress gaiety and tenderness. He became accustomed to scenes of violence and death, and the problem of self-preservation was of such paramount importance that he had but little time to waste on ineffectual reflections. That was a first-hand description of what a mountain man would look at like if you ran yeah. into him. So, um, the life of the mountain man. So many lost and totally no record of them. But the ones that suffered horrific things and lived through them and even died through them, their names live on forever. How interesting. What a life. And, and a life that, I've, you know, we in our current modern day amenities can, cannot even imagine. And I yeah. think the other thing, too, is, you know, thinking about just, you know, Hugh Glass dragging himself a uh, hundred miles. No one ever ran across him. No one found him. I mean, it's just such a testament to the the barrenness of the Wild West and the Rocky Mountain region at that time, you know, that, that you could take that much time to go 100 miles and never see another person. I mean, that's insane to me. Yeah. And it's, um, I, I think about what drove these men to come west. There was no gold rush. The gold had not been discovered yet. There was no quest for land. They didn't. They didn't hear about the lush valleys of the Oregon. Um, so it wasn't the land. It wasn't the gold. I guess. I guess maybe the beaver pelts were the gold of the era, and they heard that there was so much beaver in the Rocky Mountains that for them they were after beaver pelts, which was the gold of the day. I guess. But um, yeah, I still wonder. You know what drove these men to endure to come west to want to endure such hardships and put their life so close on the line yeah interesting uh, interesting a, stuff a lot of fun reading man it's uh, yeah and uh plenty more stories where that came from too I oh imagine. yeah oh yeah uh, just look around wyoming look around utah look around idaho montana uh, south dakota Almost every place you look at was named after a trapper or an Indian or um, some pioneer that had a major effect on the area and their lasting legacies in the names of the topography, the names of the cities, the names of the rivers and mountains. Uh, they're all around. And each one of those left a legacy that has a story behind it. So um, Jedediah Smith. Um, Jim Bridger, Fort Bridger, uh, Bridger Valley. Um, but um, these trappers, if you come across a name and you can trace it back to a trapper, there's somewhere there's a story about that man that made him important enough that they gave his name to a river or to a mountain or to right. uh, an area. Yeah. Well, we'll keep on telling those stories as we continue the Moments in History podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Again, that's Val Cook. I'm Cullen Holt, and uh, we'll talk to you guys next time.